Amen, Randy. Thank you for that message through song. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of James. We are going to continue in our study of James. And, and just to give you a, a little bit of a, a heads up on, on where we are going, we are wrapping up the first chapter of the book of James this morning. But then we are going to be shifting gears because we are about one month away from revival services here at our church. We are, are taking some time in the month of October to really focus in and, and really worship God for all that God has already been doing in our church over the last couple of years. But then just taking that one step further and really taking a few days to, to, to celebrate who God is and to invite other people to come into that celebration, whether they are church members that maybe because of COVID or other life situations have, have fallen out of, of kind of coming to church or or people that God has put a burden on your heart to hear the gospel we are going to be having revival services for for those people and for us in the month of October starting on October 16th and so starting next Sunday we are going to begin the road to revival and we are going to be preparing our hearts and our minds for for action and getting ready for revival services. So with that in mind, we are going to be closing out James chapter 1 today. And we're going to begin in verse 22 and read through to verse 27. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And the word of God says this, But prove yourselves doers of the word. And not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks in his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately has forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. This man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Please be seated. As we think about Christianity and as you are here today, there's been a lot of stuff that has kind of happened today. It's been a busy Sunday. In fact, right now, I'm sure everyone here, including my own wife, has looked at her watch and thought, boy, you better make this short. <laughs> and so I, and I understand that. So here's what I want to do. Brittany, I want you to put the three circles up on the board. Now, let me explain what's going on here. So if you're if you're new with us today, you, this is going to be new to you. But if you've been with us for a while, then you should have this memorized by now. And here at Tunnel, if we peel back everything that's happened today, if we peel back the baptism, if we peel back from the the worship song this morning when we had guitars up here, if we peel back from the hymn singing and from the special music at the very core and the very heart of who we are as Christians is what I'm about to explain to you this morning. And the first thing is that we believe that there is a God and that he has a design for all of creation. And God's design is that every single thing that he has created, which includes you and me, has a purpose and a plan. 
In fact, if we go all the way back to the very beginning of our Bible, the Bible in Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And at the very end of that first chapter of Genesis, it says that after God had created everything, He looked and behold, it was very good. That everything was exactly how it was supposed to be. And believe it or not, if we could somehow do everything God designed us to do, we would just get to be in fellowship with Him and enjoy His blessings and favor for all time, and it would be great. But here's the problem. We don't. And even if we think about some of the songs that we've sang this morning, we talked about fears and failures and, and, and wanting to negotiate with God and wanting to create our, our own way and our own design. And when we set out on our own to make our own way and our own design, the Bible calls that sin. And sin is a thing that we do. It's when we do what we want to do, how we want to do it, when we want to do it. And when we sin, it takes us someplace, and that place is called brokenness. And brokenness is something that we feel. We something that we, we can sense in ourselves, that we recognize the fact that we are not who we think we ought to be, that we're not living up to our potential. We have that sense sometimes where we have messed up, even if we don't know how we've messed up. We say things. And then we recognize that was not the thing to say. Just in this last week, I was having a conversation with another member of my family. I'm going to keep it as vague as possible. And I let them know exactly what I thought of the situation. And about four hours later, I was informed that I am stupid. And it was and it was one of those things that when I finally got all of the information, I recognized that my response and who, what I had said and my opinion on the situation, while at that moment was my thoughts and my opinions, was wrong. What I had said was wrong, how I had said it was wrong, how I had responded was wrong, and in that moment I felt broken. Like I had messed up. And I was a fool. You ever felt that way? See, that's what it means to live in a fallen world. That's what it means to be broken people living in a broken world. And the thing is, is if we stay broken people living in a broken world, and, that, and, and, and no matter what we try to do, those little arrows there kind of represent how we try to fix our brokenness. If we stay in this situation then we will stay right on broken throughout all eternity. Only in eternity we will be separated from God and experiencing only His wrath and His judgment. But see, again, we peel back all the layers of all the songs we've sung and the baptism and all we've done, and behind all of that is this really good news. In fact, the word gospel that we're going to see on the board, that that means good news. And good, the good news is, is that Christ came. You know, we did a little church as a kid, and we probably heard some stories about Jesus. And see, Jesus just, was, just wasn't some guy who came to preach some sermons and do some cool things and, and get everybody's attention. But Jesus was God's response to our broken situation, and God looked at us broken people in a broken world and said they need saving because they're not going to do it on their own 
And so God came to this world. And God put on flesh. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, lived a perfect life. But not to prove to us that we could, but rather to do it for us. And Jesus lived a perfect life for the sole purpose that he could die on the cross for our sins. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins. In fact, 1 Corinthians uh, 15 says that, that uh, and this what we know is of first importance, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And see, when Jesus rose from the grave, the, the sacrifice that he made was, was done and accepted and paid in full. And not only did he pay the price for our sin and our brokenness, but also he made so that we could have new life in him. Christ's sacrifice paid the price so that we might receive a gift. And we receive that gift when we repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we put up here. We say it in Romans 10.9, which is a, a, a passage in our scriptures. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved. And so what that means for us is if we really truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh, that he did everything the Bible said he did, that he died on the cross and that he rose from the grave three days later... If we believe that, and because we believe that, we say, I want to make Jesus the guy that is in charge of my life. That Jesus is the one that gets to make the calls in my life. I'm going to mess up. I'm not going to always do that. But I'm going to at least point my nose in his direction. I'm going to repent, which means turn around and start facing Jesus. And I'm going to start pursuing Jesus no matter how long it takes. If I do that, and what the Bible says is we'll be delivered from our brokenness. We will be saved. And see, the thing is, is we are saved for a purpose. So the last arrow on there is that then we begin to recover and pursue God's design for our life. So if you are here today, and whether you have been here your entire life, or you have only been here a few times, or today's your very first day. If you peel back everything that you've seen today, this is what we are about. And the passage of Scripture we just read about being a doer of the Word is dealing with that last era of recovering and pursuing God's design with, for your life. See, we, we have this very interesting tension in, the, in the, the Gospels or in our Bible where in one sense, and we really truly believe this, that, that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and that it has nothing to do with how good we are. Amen? So everybody here hopefully should be agree with me on that one. And so even all the things we have seen and talked about in the songs and all that stuff, that is not the things that save us. We are saved because of what Jesus did. As I was talking to Carly this morning, I said, now remember, when you get baptized, baptism's not what saved you. What saved you was when you gave your life to Jesus. Your baptism is you showing people that you are saved. But to be saved, 
to have given your life to Jesus inherently means that you are going to follow Jesus. And if you are going to follow Jesus, that means you are going to do the things that Jesus does. And so when we get into our passage today, James, who was Jesus' brother, who had seen his own brother rise from the grave and is now the leader of the church, is saying, listen, we are forgetting to do. When I was a young man, the, the, the theme of, of Mountain Dew, and it was, I used to watch the commercials when I was a kid, and they'd always show these crazy people doing crazy things on skateboards and, and, and snowboards and, and bicycles and all that stuff. And there was always some point where some can of Mountain Dew would go shooting through at like an entire neighborhood and would go through people's houses. And then suddenly some skateboard guy in, a, in an empty, bath, uh, empty pool would suddenly reach out their hand and the, the Mountain Dew would hit them in the hand and they'd chug the whole thing. And they never burped. I would think that they would have burped at some point and and they drink the whole can and then suddenly they can do all of the tricks that they can do and they're like mountain dew do the do and i think sometimes we as christians we forget to do the do we are all about the believe the believe and we're good with the grace for grace but sometimes we as christians have a hiccup when it comes to doing the do. And yet James comes to us today and he calls us to do the do. He says, he says in the midst of this, prove yourselves doer of the words and not mere, merely hearers who delude themselves. And so, or excuse me, so James begins to, to set up kind of two people that he wants us to think about today. And I'm going to talk about those two people very, very briefly with the understanding that the gospel is the gospel. But those who have put their faith in Jesus, when we talk about doing the do, it is how are we supposed to recover and pursue God's design for our life? And he says the, the we're in the first person he presents, if we kind of look at the passage, is the doer. In fact, not only is he a doer, but as you go on into the text, he is an effectual doer. He is a doer that brings about a result or fruit in the life of the, in his life. And the doer is the one who looks at the word of God. And this is going to be real. This is going to blow your mind. Actually does it actually applies that to his life and applies that into his life in such a way that people around him know that he's doing what the Bible tells him. And maybe if we take an extra step and actually is affected by the fact that he is doing what the Bible tells him. This should call to mind. See, one of the things about James is, is he's really coming straight off of what Jesus is teaching. And so to give you an example of what, where he's coming from, it's from Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then do not do what I say? That's a good question. That's a question you should be asking yourself in this room right now. Why do you call Jesus Lord, but then don't do what he says? Now, there's a, there's a couple of good reasons, I mean, a couple of, of answers to that, if we're really honest with ourselves. One answer, probably the answer that, that I think is probably the most true of all of us is we call him Lord, but don't do what he says because we don't know what he says. 
Because this is a book that collects dust on our bookshelf. Or it never leaves our car from Sunday to Sunday. So that I can carry it in and then set it on the pew next to me and everybody can see that I have my Bible, but I don't open it. For some of us, the reason we don't do what it says is because of the effectual part, because then people will know we're doing what it says. And we don't need that kind of attention. I just want to kind of be, I'm the wallflower. I just want to kind of stand against the wall and I'm going to keep my beliefs to myself and I'm going to kind of just stand there like a secret agent hoping that no one sees me. I don't want to be an effectual doer because an effectual doer will get me noticed. And sometimes we don't do it if we're really flat out honest with ourselves is because we don't really want Jesus to be Lord of our life. We want us to be Lord of our life. Jesus can be my ticket into heaven, but I'm Lord of my life. Jesus goes on, he says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation of rock. And when the floods occurred and the torrents burst against the house, it could not be shaken because it had been well built. But the one who built his house on the sand, the one who had heard and not acted accordingly, he is like the man who built his house on the ground without any foundation at all. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of the house was great. See, both people built a house. Both people heard what Jesus was saying. But one became a doer of the word. And the other one stayed just a hearer. And see, the doer of the word was still standing when the floods of life and the storms of life came. James actually uses a different analogy. He uses the, the analogy of someone who is looking in a mirror. And, and this has actually got some historical relevance to it that I wanted to share with you, but it doesn't take away from our ability to understand the text. And, and in the, the, the old world, mirrors weren't common. Like all of us have multiple mirrors in our house. Everyone in this room could probably leave here right now and with the money that they have in their bank account or in their wallet could buy some kind of mirror. It may be this big, it may be this big, but you could buy a mirror, right? In the old world, that was not always the case. And often what a mirror was was not what we have today, which is that kind of really polished, you know, glass type substance, but was really just a piece of metal that they polished so well that you could see your reflection. And they were not common. And often mirrors were only used by wealthy people or for very specific purposes. And the, the thing that James is talking about here when he talks about looking in the mirror is really talking about a, a, a person who was looking in the mirror to get dressed for something important. Either they were, say, a military person who needed to put on all the regalia of their military uniform, making sure that every single thing was perfect. I know I have some veterans in here. You know what I'm talking about when you look in the mirror and make sure that every single thing on your person is perfect. Every pin is pinned perfectly. Your name tag, everything about it is perfect. 
And so they would look at the mirror and as they would get dressed and, 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 and maybe be dressed by a servant, they would do it so that everything was perfect, whether it was for the military or maybe for a religious person like the high priest who had turbans and, and breastplates and, and phylacteries and all these things. And everything had to be perfect before they went in to offer sacrifices to God. And what James says is, is the person who, who hears the word but does not act on it, he does not look in the mirror and make sure that everything is right. But in fact, he does the opposite of it. He glances at the mirror. And then by the time he gets where he's going, he doesn't even remember what he looks like. In fact, he even takes it another point. He says he doesn't even know what kind of person he is. He is forgetful instead of effectual. He doesn't know who he has been called to be. He does not understand what God's design is for him. And so there is no way that he can begin to recover and pursue that design. See, a lot of times when we think about who we are in Christ and what it means to be obedient, to recover and pursue God's design for our life, we don't want to put in the work. See, the contrast of the forgetful person is the one who looks intently. It says, but the one who looks intently on the, the perfect law, the law of freedom, the one who looks intently on the mirror is going to not only know why he is in front of the mirror, why he is getting dressed, but he's going to know exactly what he's supposed to look like. He's going to know that he looks that way and he's going to know why he looks that way. See, and that's what the word of God actually does. See, the Word of God is, is more than just this book full of rules and laws and, and, and pressure that we have to follow. Because even the passage doesn't call it, doesn't call it the, the law of, of, of burden, but rather the law of freedom. And so what he's saying is, is when you look at the Word of God, what you're going to do is you're going to start seeing who God created you to be. You're going to start seeing who God created you to be, who God wants you to be, who God has designed you to be, the purpose and the reason why you draw breath every day, the reason why you get up every morning. And when you begin to see that, you are going to want to desire that. In fact, one of the most freeing and liberating things that you can do in life is just hand yourself over to God. And allow him to start working in you and through you in such a way that, that you cease to be who you might be right now. And you start to become who God created you to be. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. I was reminded of what Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. In Galatia 5.13 he said, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. And that brings us to really the, the last part of our passage today when he says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious. I hear people say all the time that, that well, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And that statement is true. But religion is not inherently a bad thing. It depends on how we define religion and how we see religion. And make no mistake, religion can be a bad thing. 
especially when it becomes a false, hollow, fake religion, a religion that is all about the stuff and not about the substance behind it. Religion could be, and I want to define religion today this way. It says, what you do about what you believe. So instead of looking at religion as all of the, the nonsense and all of the things and all of the rituals, but let, let religion be, it's what you do about what you believe. And again, James paints us two pictures. So we have the, the doer, the doer and the hearer only. We have the effective, the effectual one and the forgetful one. And then we have true religion versus a manly made up fake and hollow religion. James says if anyone claims to be religious but then doesn't bridle his tongue, which is just a symptom of a false religion, that his religion is actually worthless. Now, James is going to talk a lot about speech in the chapters to come. So we're not going to dive into that too much today. But I do want you to understand that James is saying that your religion does, does, if your religion does not affect your actions like your speech, then what that ultimately communicates is that the belief behind your religion is hollow. It is fake and that you don't actually believe anything. It begs the question that I have asked often from this pulpit, which is what would be different about your life if you didn't believe in God at all? See, because that's that's kind of the, the scary thing. If you look at your life right now, would your life look exactly the same? You would just get to sleep in more often on Sundays if God were not a part of your life. And if the answer is yes, I would be the exact same person I am now. I just wouldn't come to church on Sunday mornings. Then you have a problem. Because what that says is your life is not about recovering and pursuing God's design for your life. But it's about being comfortable in that brokenness. But on the contrary... Good religion, true religion, the, the really putting your faith into practice is about the love that we even read about in Galatians chapter 5. It says, but he says that, the, that, that uh, he talks about the freedom and the opportunity, making an opportunity fresh. He goes, but love, but lovingly through love serve one another. James echoes this same reality when he mentions two specific people, widows and orphans. I truly believe that he picked those two people specifically, those two categories of people for a reason, because it is the widow and the orphan in the ancient days that would have never been able to pay back the person who took after them. If you were to look over widows and orphans and their distress in the in the days that this would have been written, not only would that have been social suicide to care for people that, that, that could not possibly elevate you or help you in any way, shape, or form, but it would be something that you did purely and solely out of love and care for someone else. To care for them selflessly. To not make it some sort of transactional thing. Don't you think that today we don't even know how to respond to someone who just selflessly loves us? Like all of us, there's part of us that always wants to, when there's some, when someone just does a nice thing for us, we want to do one of two things. We want to question their intentions. Why are you doing this? 
What do you want from me? We don't like it. And the other thing we do is we want to immediately pay them back. If you do a nice thing for me, the first thing I'm going to think is, oh, okay, okay, so you, you gave me that gift. I need, I need to give you a gift now. I need, to, I need to complete the transaction. But see, widows and orphans, they couldn't. They would never be able to complete that transaction. It would just be doing a loving, good thing for the sake of being loving and good. And so James says, true and undefiled religion in the eyes of God is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to love those who will never be able to pay you back, and to keep oneself unstained from the world, choosing to follow God and His design over the ways of the world. In other words, true religion is this, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And along with that, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, the book of James, as we close out the first chapter, and James, as he's talking about this, he's reminding us that the gospel is not complete until it is the full circle. That yes, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and through him alone. But when we have given our life to Christ, we are called to action. And that action is to love God and to love others along the way. So my question for you here today, I want you to pull back again all of the stuff that has happened today from the baptism to the music to the specials. When you pull all the way, let me ask you this question. Do you believe? Do you believe in, in all the things that we have talked about. That indeed there is a God and that, that He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. And then with that, do you love Him for it? Have you given your life to Christ? And are you doing something because of what God has done in your life? For some of you today, that, that means really, truly surrendering your life to Jesus and beginning all of this. Maybe you're looking at these circles up on the, the board or up on the, the screen and you're saying, wow, that, I kind of sound like I'm in that broken spot. Our question for you is the same question I asked Carly, which is what's keeping you? What is preventing you from making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? If it's nothing then we invite you today to come up front and, and have a conversation with me about what it means to, to give your life to Jesus. If you don't want to come up and talk to me, that's okay. I want you to look around this room. Odds are you are here today because someone invited you. That someone probably knows what all of this means and they can share it with you. Talk to them. For some of us today, it means actually starting to be a doer of the word. We've seen a big emphasis on clarity today. And I have a, the blessing and the privilege of not only being on the board for clarity, but also being a volunteer for clarity. And one of the main reasons why I am involved in clarity is all is because that is the place where I feel like I am doing the word. When I meet with young men, when I go there to pray, when I do stuff like the walk, I know that, that I am putting myself in a place where the people who need to hear the gospel are hearing the gospel and they're seeing the gospel along with it. 
How is God calling you to do the word? Is it in your family? Being a godly father or mother? Is it supporting organizations like Clarity? Through giving for the walk or actually showing up and volunteering and praying? Is it serving in the church? Is it being a light on campus, whether it's ECTC or UofL or East or West or Central or E-Town? God has called you. If you are in Christ, God has called you to do. Don't wait another day. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, we thank you so much for your word. God, we pray that um, you would work through our time this morning and through the word. God, we pray that you would do fantastic things through this church. God, let us be a church of doers. And God, through that, that you might be glorified. Lord, I know for some people in this room, they, they can see all of this, Lord, but they know that deep down in the very center of all of it is the need to surrender their lives to you, that before they do a thing, they must place their hope and faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that they, they do not delay one more day. May their first act of service, may their first thing that they do is believe and repent and experiencing the saving faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, I really truly believe that you are calling this church to do great things. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to surrender ourselves, that you might lead us and direct us. Well, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.